0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to this, the Cloud Choice podcast. So today we're going to be talking and we're going to be asking how cloud native can help companies create a culture of innovation. We also, we also have the pleasure of interviewing Abby Kearns.
1: The barriers? I mean, it's a culture, 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 right? It's a, that's, a, that's a pretty significant barrier.
0: Abby, she is the executive director at Cloud Foundry Foundation. Which will be coming up a bit later, uh, and it's uh, with great pleasure um, I'm going to introduce my colleague Rene, um, who's helping me out today. So, h- how are you doing, Rene? I'm doing great. How about you, Dan? I'm good. I'm very good. Wh- wh- where wh- where are you today? Oh, I'm in uh, I'm in Seattle, my hometown. Okay, really good. Yeah, I'm 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 here in Barcelona. So I'm once again I'm I'm. Um, well, I wish I wish it could be beside the beach.
2: Yeah, but you know, okay. Barcelona is an awesome city. It's one of my favorite cities in the world.
0: So yeah, it is. It's a, yeah, it's a re- really nice place. Um, this is your first time with us. So um, I wonder would you do us the, the honor of, of giving a little introduction as to, to, to who you are?
2: Yes, be happy to. So I'm uh, Renee Claudio. I'm part of our global cloud practice in our financial services sector. Uh, I lead a team of cloud design architects and analysts we, we basically help clients uh, define their cloud strategy, look at their apps, assess their apps and IT services, uh, figure out what to move to the cloud. We help architect the actual move migration, we help architect cloud native applications, and we help uh, clients transform, right? Transform towards a more cloud operating model, towards a faster IT, uh,
0: towards more cloud native uh, operating model. Fantastic. So um we're going to kick off normally uh Renny we kick kick off with, with a new section. Um so was there anything in the news this week that that that, that, that caught your eye? Yes,
2: yes. Uh, one uh, Wall Street article really caught my eye. It's called uh, Wall Street to CEOs disrupt your industry or else. If you if you look at if you look at that article, it's uh, you know like any good piece it it uses the the title to grab your attention. It, it's sort of if you read the title, it's kind of an ultimatum to CEOs, right? It's saying, "Hey, be a disruptor or else." And in this case, be out of okay. a job. And you know, it references uh, the recent CEO change at Ford, where the prior CEO was scanned for not doing enough disruption.
0: No, no, that that's yeah. I I read the same article as well. It's it really is. It's 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 interesting, you know. Especially the and the numbers were 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 really quite good at Ford. And he was doing the right things. It was just not quick enough. So
2: actually, the, they they elevated the 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 head of their driverless driverless cars, right? So because he was more um, innovative, uh, as they see it, and or that's the future of of cars as they see it. So I mean, the real message of this article it's uh, it's about how the rules of competition are dramatically changing, right? It's not just about you know being better, faster, and cheaper, or coming up with new features and capabilities. So succeeding today, it's, it's really about challenging the status quo, the tradition. It really requires, you know, a change of business model in an industry. You know, different, you know, we always talk about Airbnb what they did with travel, Netflix, Amazon with retail, mm. and so on, right? But I also saw in one of the articles that we were looking at that there there's some interesting data points, like over 52% of Fortune 500 companies, you know, since 2000 have either merged, acquired, or died, right? And so it's really a different kind of uh, business Darwinism. And there's now over 100 startups with over a billion dollars. So all these disruptors.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time right? Well, it's probably an exciting time if you're a startup. So, but if you're, if you're one of those companies that's been around a long time and you're not innovating, then it's probably a scary time.
2: Yeah. And, I, and you know, th- I like this article because it's a great context for a podcast series. So this threat, or if you think about it, opportunity for disruption is really a big driver for enterprises to transform. When you're transforming a, a model, an industry model, it, it re- typically requires the use of technology. So imagine like Amazon, Lyft, Uber, if they didn't have their app, right? They probably won't yeah. be around. So, so it's, uh, and it's not just technology, right? It's about the, the constant innovation, the constant tweaking. It's all about the process of trying, learning, adapting, making changes, experimenting.
0: What about? I, I was reading a, a, an interesting article about the customer experience. Um, it was written by uh, Gavin Mee for thegenomica.com um and it, it was quite interesting you know they spoke about some of the some companies okada and coca cola um and basically how the, using these cloud technologies they were using them to f- provide a better and a more personalized customer experience um and also the article that was speaking about you know how salesforce it looks salesforce had a or did a report where it was talking about customer experience and that 73% of respondents did they decided that poor customer service was uh, was one of the reasons uh, not to buy for, for, from for, from a company um i mean have you have you seen that with some of the customers that you deal with uh, especially with the banks you know the the way they're 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 really beginning to to look at how they change that that customer experience have 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 you seen have you seen that um you know when you've spoken to some of your customers René?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, all the banks that we talk to our major clients, uh, the digital experience is big. Um, And in being able to, you know, have that uh, holistic experience, it's not just with mobile, not just with the laptop, you know, being able to be in touch, connected with social media, being really making it more personalized, using... uh, you know what you learned about customers, and you know triangulating that with other segmentation information, like with Nielsen and so on, and really presenting a, an appropriate experience as well as offers, right? So, so I think the the opportunity is really so that. And then how do you how do you do that? Because as for our clients, for the our clients, their challenge is okay. We already know digital experience is critical, but how do we do good at that? Right. So how do we? How do we keep make it being nimble and responsive in making changes? So that's really the, the challenge that I hear. And, and if you think about digital assets, a lot of it is, you know, it, it's a whole ecosystem. You know, it's not just because you got a great mobile app, that's that's it, right? But th- the thing is, these mobile apps are, are connected to an ecosystem of apps if you look at the back end. And the problem is the back end systems And the supporting systems are typically not as nimble and quick and easy to change as the front end. So the the, the challenging part of our customers, I think they recognize, hey, it's a key battleground. That's what we got to get good at. So what we're seeing is the clients uh, need help on how do we become more nimble? Because if you think about doing digital experience right, you need to be able to make quick changes, quick, right? Then you know, one line of code change is like Wealthfront, and you could deploy it in the day, right? Or you could do A/B That's testing because you want to, you know, try a different approach. You know, maybe direct some of the traffic, some users to a certain type of experience or feature or product, and then direct some other ones in another one, right? So, and trying to see absolutely. with the impact. So all that requires, a, you know, a, a different way of of the use of technology. How do, how do you develop and support it?
0: Very good. So some of our listeners, we'll, we'll get your number on speed dial, René, so you can help them. <laughs> <So> <laughs> have, you, um, have, you seen, have you seen any other articles that, that, that caught your eye this week?
2: So I think we, we talk about the being disrupted, you know, transformation. Uh, there was actually a more a different kind of article that I saw from Amy's son. Amy is a product manager at Uber, and she's been there uh, uh, for three years. You know, it's, it's entitled What I Learned from Working at Uber. And we all know the, what Uber's done with the industry, we all know that they have a great app. I mean, I, you know, whenever I travel these days, I pretty much use Uber, right? I don't rent cars anymore. And, um, but if you look at, you know, you talk about the model they did, the technology, but what's not really showing is their culture, the change that they, the, the, the kind of innovation, uh, kind of culture that they have that encourages innovation. Um, so, and it's a key part of their success. So if you look at, uh, um, what Uber is doing is it really believes that, hey, any innovation, any great idea can come from any of their employees, right? So they, they encourage hackathons, work workation. By the way, it's a new word for me. I didn't realize that. Workation is about... Employees working while vacationing. <laughs> actually going on vacation, a colleague at a beach, and actually doing a project. That, that's too weird for me.
0: I don't know if I'd get into that. But okay. <laughs> I I I'll try that with my wife. in two weeks, I'm on holidays. I'll bring my laptop and 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 see uh, and see how that goes down with her when I say I'm on a workation. Yeah.
2: So so I, I think you know Uber's uh, you know the way they des- she described their culture you know high level of performance uh, and accountability you know, really getting people to focus on solutions as opposed to pointing fingers, right? And, you know, focus on results, starting with big goals. Those are really great advice on, you know, how do you encourage innovation? And if you're gonna be a disruptor, you should be embracing those types of uh, uh, cult, you know, values, behaviors and culture
0: on 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 another article I was looking at, um, it was talking about the big interconnection challenge you know why industry collaboration is crucial because you mentioned um, you know you mentioned the front end and you mentioned you know uber and and the fact that these mobile apps, but at the back end, sometimes you know the back end is running maybe on some legacy systems, you may have uh, databases that are, that are running on mainframe systems. Um, so so this, talk about this big interconnection uh, challenge. So, so I think there's two, um, I took away from the
2: article, the point you're saying there's the interconnection challenge within a company and then also externally, right, with their partners and so on. So, so for instance, uh, you know, I was working with a client in Australia and I did work, I mean, I was doing so an agility assessment with them. And their biggest problem is their digital center or group is going way too fast than the enterprise apps. So we had to okay. look for ways to bridge the gap. One is you could get the enterprise app to do stuff quicker, right? Get them to adopt more cloud native principles and so on. Two, you okay. could try to work on integration. So instead of the point-to-point integration, you have what we call an anti-corruption layer, right? Sort of a middle ground. So you gotta, you know, the, I guess, uh, decouple, the direct integration to the enterprise system, so so you could always just change that middle layer, right? The anti-corruption layer, yeah. and don't have to change the uh, the enterprise system. So there there are a lot of things that uh, we could do to help uh, harmonize the speed. Um, the other interconnection that's interesting is you know, and this is where APIs come in, is really exposing uh, in the way you connect with your partners, whether it's a channel partner. I mean, um, next week I'm going to talk to. Uh, uh, an insurance company, and they are very interested in ex- expanding their channel beyond just, you know, the typical agents, right? And for that, they have to use API's cloud-native principles because they need to expose their services, their ability to to offer insurance in different channels. They could offer it in social media, right, and so on. Um, so, I mean, even in the fintech world, right? So in the banking world, right? If you think about it, the onslaught of the fintechs, the unbundling of the banks. So, so now banks are figuring out how to to uh, use the fintech services and make it part of their site, so it's a little bit of competition, right? <laughs> if you look at it, because they can't move fast enough to offer the service. If you can't beat them, join them, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. And have you seen any any of the big banks you've been working with? Any exciting, You know, have you seen them? You know, I I know they're they're over in Europe, but we're looking at PSD too um so so that's something that's actually in a w- in a way being forced on, on on the banks here but i mean have you seen any of the banks in the us you know some of the the clients you've worked with um using apis in a in a you know innovative way you know something that that's uh, it's a different offering you know something that's quite quite exciting absolutely i mean two
2: two years ago we started with a a global bank uh, based in the East Coast, and we, they embarked on, hey, we want to get into banking as a service, and we helped them from helping them define their API strategy, their governance model, helping them develop their first set of APIs, and also their platform, and so we're still helping them today. So they're, you know, they, they're using it in all kinds of different ways, you know, whether as part of payments or part of uh, extending offers, uh, using other channels, so they're, they are using it in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, I I I think Uber were involved in that story as well if 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 it's this if it's the same big bank I'm I'm thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Think it's a good point. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um so let's let's move on to let's talk a little bit about uh, today's topic. So, uh today's topic um we're talking about how can cloud native, yeah, you know, how can it help companies create um a culture of 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 innovation. Um so th- there are there are a couple of, of, of points I, I want to talk about here, Rennie, if that's okay. Uh, number one, the, the first one I want to talk about is okay. This innovation, like, why? When we speak to a, a customer, um, the first thing is like, um, why? Why is there this need to, to innovate? Um, I mean, have you, you know, have you some some, some ideas for, for for our listeners from what you've seen?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think we it's it start with that first article on Wall Street. Right, You're, the upstarts are competing with technology and with innovating, not just the uh, you know the experience, the customer experience, the digital experience, but also the the business model. Right, so so innovation is is critical that uh, you know for it's just the reality of the world today. Right, so we're a, yeah. we're a very digital world. You know. If you look at the millennials, the Gen X, how they use technology, those are the future customers. They need You need to cater to them. And it's all about technology. And the, with all the um, developments in technology, the cloud native, um, the cloud, right? DevOps, all these areas that help facilitate innovation. They fuel it, right? It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> customers are demanding it. You got the technology and enablers available. It just keeps on going. And then you got competition who keeps uh, who keeps pushing you. So I yeah. think it's it's just uh it's just a way of life now. And so it's the the question is, is how do you do it better,
0: right? Back in the day I used to work I used to work for for Nokia back in 99 up in uh, in Finland in Helsinki. And um if somebody had told me way back in 99 2000 because literally Nokia every Everywhere you went, it was Nokia. Everybody in the in the whole of of Helsinki seemed to work for for Nokia. But if somebody uh, had told me back then that in in twelve years, you know, ten to twelve years later, that the biggest software company in Finland was a company, um, they, they, I think it, it's that company Rovia, who created the game Angry Birds, um, you know, that would be running on a, on a on a on a phone made by Apple. Um, you know, I would have thought you know that they, they were crazy people, but it, and and that's just in ten years. You know the the way things change so quickly. So, so yeah. So why should you innovate? I mean, I think just some of those. If you see those big brands, then it's um, you know it's it's one of one of the reasons. The 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 next thing I'd like to talk about, if it's possible. Um. So. Um, what does this culture of innovation and collaboration look like? So, um, you know, c- can we talk a little bit about, you know, what, you know, down at at um at a, at a company level, you know, uh, what it looks like? Yeah. So I think there was a
2: we we came out with a, an article, a point of view, the innovation game, why and how businesses are investing innovation centers. So basically, if you think about it, the classic R and D, right, setting aside money, a percentage. For R&D, having this team, you know, like this department do it, that doesn't work anymore, right? So you got to have a different kind of an R&D. So so I think we're seeing a lot of our clients build these innovation centers, whether in-house, whether it's with a university, whether it's, you know, tapping into Silicon Valley. But what it is, it's all about, you know... It's not just having this facility, right? It's having the right people. It's not just internal people. You you know, you reach out to academics, you reach out to to startup entrepreneurs, you reach out to partners, and it's also a mindset. And you know, mindset is uh, is also big because it's a uh, the cultural thing, thing just like uh, yeah. Uber, right? And it's interesting in terms of uh, culture and mindset. I read through. You know, one of the things that I talk to clients about, because everybody, you know, because we do cloud, we do DevOps, everybody's trying to figure out, most of my clients are trying to figure out, hey, how do we deal with disruptive technologies like this, right? How do we embrace it and be more innovative and so on? And actually, there's an interesting model. Dr. Ron Westrom, it's a well-known organization uh, sociologist. He's got this simplistic framework. He, he, he like, buckets enterprises into three different uh, types. Pathological, bureaucratic, and generative, right? (laughs) (laughs) Pathologic is is your classic, you know. I guess uh, the, the you know where it's led by a leader. It's power oriented, right? And everything follows that leader, right? Or a set of leaders. And, I, you know, in the 80s when I used to work for, uh, 90s actually, when I used to work for Intel's, Andy Grove was it, right? That was like a pathological organization. But he was great, right? He he knew the industry, where it would go. But the problem is when you have a bad leader, you don't go anywhere, right? And the other type is bureaucratic. This is your classic bureaucratic, you know, process-driven, rules-oriented. And then there's the generative, which is very similar to what was described by Amy Sun in her article. Very performance-oriented. It's all about, you know... Free flow of information, sharing, shared risk, high trust, individual empowerment. So that's really where you want to get to from a cultural standpoint. I don't know. What do you
0: think, Dan? No, I I, I completely agree. You know, um, I mean, some of the, I mean, I, I've have some experience, you know, doing the hackathons and and working with, with these labs, and it's it's such a change compared to some of the the companies. That, that I worked with, you know, way back in the day, you know, when I was starting out as a as a, as a young developer, um, back in the nineteen twenties. <laughs> but um, it's it, it it it's just it's it's amazing now when you when you see companies like Pivotal and when you even when you see our uh, Applied Innovation Exchange here at Capgemini, you know some of the you know the real fun projects, you know, some of the projects they're working on draw drones, you know, blockchain technology. Um, so it, it, it really is. It's a great time, I think, if you're in, in, involved in, in, in some of this, you know, so absolutely.
2: I've seen the Pivotal Labs and how it works because I, you know, I spent the week in there and, yeah, it's amazing how things work, how much thinking and collaboration happen. Just one more point about culture. So I think a lot of people talk about mindset, innovation center, but a big part is also the structure, right? So when you're getting into a more innovative you know, flow. At the end, small is better, right? I don't know if you know about Amazon, right? They talk about these uh, two pizza teams. <laughs> so, yeah. so if your team grows beyond feeding them with just two pizzas, then you have a team that's too big, right? So, wow. so, so that's kind of interesting too. That when you start thinking about innovation, how you figure out how to component componentize things, right? Which is I think plays well about how cloud cloud native. Uh, Works because if you start componentizing stuff, making it modular, making each component and module the responsibility of a specific team, you most likely have you know more nimbleness and innovation possible.
0: Okay, and is 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 that where the the whole cloud native part is that where it really fits in, where where it fits in on this um, innovative culture or innovation culture?
2: Yeah, let me give you a good example. I you know I recently worked with a a client uh, in the southeast. They they offer. Uh, retirement services right outsource the outsource retirement services you know the 401ks irs i don't know what you have in europe but retirement plans and and, and basically they the big drive they just embark on a transformation embracing cloud native and going through this whole uh, big change and the the drivers for them is one they wanted to triple the number of clients they support and the challenge they have is their processes their systems are very monolithic so it takes them months to to configure, to deploy, to 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 launch these services to their clients, and you know if they're gonna triple in under two years, there's just no way they were gonna do it. So the other thing is they were recognizing the threat of the the fintechs, you know, like you know Wealthfront and Betterment, although you know, those guys are yeah. focused on retail customers, they may go after the enterprises, right? The agencies that these guys go after. So what they did actually, which is very, you know, it's a great holistic story because uh, not only did they adapt the cloud native, uh, you know, we, which is a key enabler for what they're doing, but they also started with the way they look at their products. Again, back to the story I was saying, hey, you got to start thinking modular components, And so they basically decided, hey, they were gonna, to make it configurable, they have to break it up, right? And to offer something to the customer, it's sort of Lego blocks, right? Each components are pieced together to offer it to the customer. And you know, all that is not possible unless you do microservices, right? And so that's where cloud native comes in. So they do recognize that, so they did change their monolithic systems towards more microservices architecture. Right? And they did not stop there, of course. They use domain-driven design to help them make sure they figure out the right bounded context and about right microservices. You know, they, they use smaller teams, so they organize their teams by these components. Right, so mm-hmm. a a team is focused on a certain component or module or a set of them that's related. So, for instance, a, a good module is eligibility. Any retirement service, right? Checks eligibility. Mm-hmm. So they decouple that from the whole app, and because you know, and that could be tailored specific to an employer, a country, and so on. Right. So, okay. so that's the cool thing. I mean, they adopted DevOps, they adopted containers, all the cloud native things they're doing, and they're they're
0: doing it well. It's actually amazing. And but uh, but how does uh, and always uh, well always the problem is how do you do that when you know how do you how do you change a part of the engine when, when uh, on a seven four seven when it's flying so so how do how do you um, how do you do that part so um, uh, identifying something like as you said eligibility. Um, and how how do you actually cut that away from from the monolith? So so what they did
2: was I mean they did an overall top down and just and this is where something like uh, microservices and domain driven design is uh, helpful right because it helps you break down your domain right so if your domain is retirement services how do you break it up and then you keep breaking it up right and so to your point then you start mapping it to your you know if you You figure out your subdomains and your bounded context, then you're starting to see, how does it flow in our current system? What do we carve out? And it's sort of what you call, they have a big ball of mud, but then they have to piece it out, right? So so they did figure out their roadmap on, after they've componentized, chunked it up, right? And then, so create a roadmap. So how do they slowly change it? And they use APIs to obviously create all the different services, right? So in, in some way, there's when a customer flows through there's some aspects that they drew with the current monolithic some with the microservices based uh, apps and
0: services fantastic okay that's um <laughs> you, uh, you and i were, were i think we we could we could chat all night um but uh, i i i think i think it's it's time to 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 fin- uh, to wrap it up uh, this week So it's now time for our guest. Uh, We recently had a chat with Abby Kearns, um, Executive Director at Cloud Foundry Foundation, around the culture of innovation and how her organization is helping organizations collaborate and in turn innovate. Uh, Hope you enjoy.
3: So tell me, you've been with Cloud Foundry for a while now, but you've just recently moved into this role. And uh, I wanted to know if you made any changes to the organization. Are we still on the same missions?
1: Well, yes. I've, I've joined Cloud Foundry Foundation some time ago, but I took over the end of last year, November. I took over as executive director of the Cloud Foundry Foundation. And for um, for those that don't that aren't aware, Cloud Foundry Foundation is the open source foundation that holds the IP and the trademark for Cloud Foundry, the open source project. Uh,
3: a number of critical business goals are, are driving organizations towards cloud-native architectures. Now, that being said, uh, I was wondering, you know, what do you believe are the key drivers, one? And two, what do you see as the, the benefits of, of organizations um, creating cl- cloud-native architectures?
1: Well, I'll start with first, I really believe firmly in cloud native architectures, which essentially is a nice way of saying, you have applications that can take full advantage of the cloud. And often that's referred to as 12 factor apps, which harkens back to the manifesto written by Heroku many years ago about this, you know, stateless applications. But essentially it's apps that are small, that are stateless, which means they don't really require a lot of that persistence connection to the underlying infrastructure and are able to take advantage of all the capabilities of cloud. They can scale, they can, um, they're resilient, they can be scaled up and down easily, they can, you know, if there's a challenge with one, they can be killed and spun up another one. It really reinforces the the capabilities of applications, both in, a, in, a, in terms of being agile, as well as really being able to take advantage of
3: all of the things that the cloud can bring to the table. Great, great. Well, so so I think that you would frame innovation as one of the major reasons why people would move to a cloud native architecture. So, what do you what do you see as the main drivers that organizations are are speaking about as they make this paradigm shift?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, you know, before innovation, I hear speed to market. You know, if you're a a incumbent organization, a large organization that has been around for a long time. And and now all of a sudden your not only your industry is changing, the entire market around you is changing and your competitors are no longer, you know, those incumbents that you, you've been competing against for the last 40 years. Now your competitors are a startup that wasn't here six months ago. And they're pushing you to change the way you think about the market, the space and your customers. And so really first and foremost, the adoption and the attraction of cloud native is speed to market the ability to get an idea out there because you can't really innovate if you're not getting something to market quickly enough and then really using that speed to market as well as adding a tighter linkage to the customer because if you're trying to iterate and deploy something to production every week every two weeks which is a huge change for you if you've you've previously been doing it every nine months you're also having to rethink the way you engage with the customer's And the responsiveness around that. And so that really builds into this tighter continuum between your organization, the technology and your customers and really adding that to the the cycle that becomes an innovative
3: loop. Aha. So, I mean, we're really talking about a significant uh, change in our culture, not only for our internal organization, but also in the way that we reach out to our clients and 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 produce goods for them as well. So some of these major challenges that we see in the culture, um, it was really moving from an IT department that's been cost centric to a revenue generating area. Uh, what do you think in the next three to five years, uh, companies will, will do to generate and utilize cloud native applications uh, as a revenue generator?
1: Well, I think um, there's a huge leap from cost center to revenue generator. And I think the first step along that path is getting organizations to want to acknowledge that technology is no longer just a cost center, but to really pulling into the fact that it's core to um, maintaining your business, both optimizing your business and business practices internally, as well as exposing a lot of the data and changing your business model and interaction models with your customers. Um, and I think that that is, a, that is a massive change. I just think about mobile banking. Think about your bank. You've been going to the same bank for what, 10 years? And five years ago, mobile banking was an interesting thing, but not necessarily that important. And now today, if your bank doesn't have a mobile app and you're not able to take a picture of a check and able to transfer money, um, you don't have you know automated fraud detection and event-driven responses around that. Those are table stakes now for these large banks. And so technology is now no longer a you know an interesting differentiator. It's now a core part of the way your business needs to operate. And so there's that middle ground before moving to become just a revenue generator where it is actually turning into you're leveraging technology as a business to change the way you interact with the business to interact with your customers and the market, but opening up new market opportunities.
3: Absolutely. I, I couldn't concur with you more. Uh, let's move along to uh, to, to discussing, uh, you know, where we might find the most prevalent use of cloud native applications today in the marketplace. What what industries or verticals uh, are you seeing come to Cloud Foundry and, and discuss utilizing PaaS uh, as an enabler? Well, I'd say the better question is which ones are not. You know, we've seen a
1: really high growth in financial services, but also healthcare and insurance and automotive and industrialized IoT, um, you know, manufacturing. We're just seeing it across all of the board because. When you think about transformation, you think about organizations and how our economy, how the industries are changing, they're all changing. They're all being impacted by technology. They're all changing the way that they interact and engage with their customers and how they're using technology to be more efficient and effective. And so I'd say that they're all part of this change and this shift. And and I think we'll just continue to see that momentum grow.
3: And, and with that being said, um... Are we seeing any specific geographic area focusing more or or probably more uh, innovating more with cloud-native applications than other geographies?
1: Well, you know, to date we've seen more of the growth in North America um, and and Asia. But I would say in the last eight months, Europe has really evolved and kind of caught up with the other two geographies, right? Europe, Europe has really doubled down in terms of really making those leaps, leveraging Cloud Foundry and taking advantage of Cloud Foundry to really transform their organization. You know, we've seen organizations like Volkswagen, Allianz, Bosch, uh, SAP, really take that and really use that as an opportunity to transform their organizations and how they're leveraging technology, but also how they're offering services to their
3: customers. Fabulous, fabulous, okay. All right. Um, So, when we talk about cloud natives, the why, the how, and the what, many people speak about continuous delivery, DevOps, and microservices. If we were to take each one of those and carve out some of the key elements and and the reason why they're, they're so important to cloud native applications, Let's speak briefly about what are your thoughts on continuous delivery and DevOps and and the use of cloud natives to help enable that um, technology and that methodology?
1: So continuous delivery is absolutely a mandate if you're trying to develop and quickly iterate on code, right? If you're trying to get something out of the door quickly and continue to iterate on that, then continuous delivery has to be part of that solution. And in fact, one of the things that are really necessary in order to be successful with Cloud Foundry, which is a platform that is really automating as much of that as possible, is you need to adopt continuous delivery practices. You need to take advantage of small cloud-native applications, the ability to iterate and quickly you know, get those out the door, and leveraging test-driven development, take advantage of that. DevOps is a term that I'm not historically fond of. Because I feel like it oversimplifies the the change in, not only the culture, but change in the organization necessary to support continuous delivery. Because it's not just developers and operators. It's product owners. It's um, business owners. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a large team of people that you bring together to really focus on a single outcome, a single business outcome. And so that's really where you pull in. the cross-functional teams really focusing on a single, solving a business problem, leveraging technology to do that. And and so I, I don't like to think of it as DevOps. I think of it as a way that changing the way that your culture
3: really works together across
1: many teams.
3: Many people equate microservices to cloud native. They say that microservices are cloud native applications, period, end of story. What is your viewpoint on that? I mean... Ideally,
1: they are yes. I mean, microservices, and even when we talk about cloud native, we're talking about small apps that are are easily responsive to cloud, to the cloud framework. Microservices are essentially just smaller apps. They're they're really intended to be small iterative applications. So I would definitely put microservices in a cloud native application architecture bucket, um, particularly when you think about, you know, easily developing and quickly developing on apps. And really able to iterate on those quickly, you're thinking really about microservices. And so, absolutely, I think microservices fall under that category. But you know, I think that there are you know other applications that are not necessarily microservices that are still can be cloud native. So I think it's just entirely dependent on the app, what you're doing, and how you're trying to solve the problem.
3: And well, thank you, thank you for that. So let's take a little shift back over to you and Cloud Foundry for a moment. Um, I would say that Cloud Foundry has had a tremendous adoption rate over the last few years, right? And um, what, what do you attribute that increase to? Uh, it's it's from a cultural shift of uh, the protective company, so to speak. What, what do you see as a, one of the, the, the major thrust of this adoption?
1: Well, Lisa, I think you really nailed it when we first started the conversation. It's the digital transformation. These organizations, particularly enterprise organizations, are are finding that they don't need to recreate the wheel every time, that they can leverage a platform, they can automate a lot of this workload as they start really pulling in continuous delivery practices into their organization, and they don't need to build it themselves. And that's really the, the vision of Cloud Foundry. It's automating as much of that process as possible and relieving an organization of undifferentiating heavy lifting so that you don't need to build your own. You can buy the platform, you can implement it into your organization and you can get off the ground and running quickly. And that's the goal. You're giving the freedom to developers, then giving them the freedom to create and iterate and develop code and get it to production as quickly as possible. But you're giving them the guardrails that you need in an enterprise organization that you can take advantage of, you know, health monitoring, health management, security, compliance, All of those capabilities that you need and you can package them in and still give developers that control and that's what's the the power of Cloud Foundry.
3: You know as people move into this architectural construct um, there are many barriers that organizations may have in their migration path. Um, What would you consider the three top barriers to be and and why in development of of these cloud native applications?
1: The barriers. I mean, it's a
3: culture, 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 right?
1: If it's a, that's a that's a pretty significant barrier. The technology for me, and maybe because I, I've you know been a lifelong technologist, is the easy part. You know, just being willing to take advantage of technology that can make your life easier—that's the easy part. The hard part is really changing and transforming your organization around that and and being willing to accept that and accept that change and accept that automation that's going to fundamentally change the way you think about how you engage with technology, but also the potential that technology brings. Um, A use case um, that I'd like to kind of come back to, HCSC, a very large US-based health insurer, You know, for them, it took them nine months and 35 people to create a single application. So just imagine that. If you wanted to do a single application, you had to get a team together of 35 people and spend nine months on it. After Cloud Foundry, they were able to get that down to six weeks with four people. Now, imagine the fundamental shift in the way that you're teams and your people are, are really engaging in an with enacting with their their development activities but then imagine the way that it changes how they think about their work day to day and how fast you can move it changes the way you work as an organization but as well as with your people and i think that that changes the potential we want to you know if you want to bring it back to innovation if you've got people that can turn around and get an application out the door in a matter of weeks versus a matter of months, that's where you can really bring the innovation in. You can really get people excited about what they're doing and thinking about different ways of engaging with their community, their industry, and their customers.
3: So, so Abby, today has been a, absolutely a wonderful conversation with you. Um, I mean, I think that uh, you've given us great points of view about Cloud Foundry, uh, about Culture and innovation in general about cloud native applications, some of the barriers, some of the uh, the gotchas of what why why to go to cloud native architecture, why um, why people are seeing it as a uh, economic benefit, and I want to thank you for the time you've given us today. Uh, are there any comments that you'd like to push forward to us uh, in closing? Um, just that. I'm really passionate about
1: the direction our industry is going and how digital transformation is not only going to change the organizations that are, are, are taking advantage of it, but our industry as a whole. And I think Cloud Foundry is at the center of that as an enabler of that change and the ability to allow developers the freedom to create. And I think that's going to fundamentally change all of the industry. So I'm really, really excited about where we're going from here.
0: Okay, it's it's that time of the week again where we've come to the end of our third podcast. Um, we'll be back next time. Uh, thank you, Renny. It, it was re- really fantastic uh, your insights. Um, I, uh, normally, Renny, we 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 give our, our, our we have the show notes um, where you can get our uh, a, a link to to the the news articles that we spoke about, um, and also our Twitter handles. Uh, so mine is at Dan O'Reardon. Um, have you have you got a, a Twitter handle, Renee?
2: Yeah, they, you know the listeners can also tweet me. It's uh, at uh, ReneeClaudio one word R E N E C L A U D I O, but that O is actually
0: a zero. Um, also we have uh, some 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 other interesting links we, we have a link to our uh, our the research that we have done on cloud native applications and, and all that is in our uh, in the show notes so thanks w- w- once again um, so hopefully um, you'll join me again um, uh, next week Rene um, are you doing anything interesting it's probably the start of your work day there is it Ah, uh, it's actually middle
2: day. I'm based in Seattle. I mean, this is the glorious time here. Not that I'm gonna work outside and play, but uh, unfortunately, I gotta do some work for clients.
0: Okay, really. Okay, very good. Okay, so thank you everyone for listening. I uh, hope to see you there next time. Bye bye.